the sleeper in the bus. There's skill, there's luck. A keeper or cut. Open file, a case shut. A short stop or stop short. Press play or press abort. Intelligence for sports. Good of y'all to listen. Aiming at what truth is. Mike and Eno pitching like the name is Michael Lewis. Others in the dust or left out to rust. Who's hitting? Who's missing? The sleeper in the bus. The sleeper in the bus. Welcome to The Sleeper and the Bust. I'm Mike Podhorzer, and I'm joined today by Rotograph's editor, Eno Saris. And today we'll be discussing a pair of surprising demotions and answering an abundance of your Twitter questions. But first is the most interesting player alive today. And I got to say, you Fangraphs readers, stop searching for Miguel Cabrera. Once again, he was the most searched for player on Fangraphs. What else are you going to glean from Miguel Cabrera's Fangraphs page that we don't already know. Is there anything that we can possibly know about Miguel Cabrera, you know, that readers don't already know? Stop searching for him. <laughs> <laughs> he's Seriously, good. Every day, every day, he's apparently the most interesting player alive. I, I don't know what it is. I guess Fangraphs readers are obsessed with looking at his numbers and and maybe his run at potential hitting 400 or something. I don't know. So we're going to actually go with the number two guy today who we've discussed in the past, but, you know, this is a couple of starts ago, and that's Francisco Liriano coming off of another dominant start. Of course, it was the Cubs, but doesn't matter who it is. He was absolutely dominant once again. You know, is this a guy who's going to exceed even the most optimistic of expectations this year? I, I mean, I think he's in the perfect spot. I just, uh, you know, he's a lefty. Has had, you know, uh, home run problems in the past. Um, and uh, he's, uh, he's in a park that suppresses home runs by righties. So th- he's a perfect home park. Um, I think that the extra strikeout a game or, the, you know, the, the, the pitcher spot in the lineup will definitely help him get through the lineup a couple times. And, you know, really about what one thing is, you know, he's been good when he's healthy most years. And, in, you know, sometimes his control goes. but And we can't really say anything definitive about his control right now. But um, I love him. I think he has enough upside to, to be owned in any league. Yeah, I have him in my local league. I have him in a couple of other leagues as well. I'm loving him too. And uh, I think in a previous podcast we basically debated between Scott Casimir and Liriano. And I think... We both agreed slightly with Liriano, and and now I'm thinking I should have been a more confident Liriano um, guy, but he's looking awesome. I mean, his swinging strike rate right now is at 17%, which is basically a league-leading level, and obviously he's probably going to have games here and there where he's going to walk four or five batters, going to give up a home run or two, give up six, seven runs in five innings. It's going to happen. But I think he's going to mix in a lot more of these dominant outings than those bad outings. And as long as you're not impatient and you panic after every bad outing and you just sit, uh, you, you just start him and just forget about him, then I think he's going to be very valuable no matter the format. So, I mean, is there any concern whatsoever here? Uh, I mean, well, I mean, he's not, he's not going to. If he costs you something, then there's a concern. But he's not going to cost you anything other than. You know, if you want to put him on your bench for for some uh, tough away matchups or whatever, then then do that. Be conservative. But 
he's not going to cost you anything than, your, than the worst player on your team right now. And uh, I think that he's worth it. I, I love strikeouts. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's throw out, how about comparing him to someone like Hiroki Kuroda, maybe even his uh, pairing in Jeff Samarja. Who do you like between Liriano and those two? Between Liriano, Kuroda, and who? And uh, Jeff Samarja, who we faced off against last, uh, yesterday. Oh, well, I mean, rather have Samarja. <laughs> is that a question? Is that what your question is? No, that's a serious question. Is that such an obvious choice? Because it seems to me like Liriano has at least the strikeout potential as Samarja. I mean, Samarja obviously has shown much better control, but we know from his past that he is prone to have games where his control isn't exactly there. And the Cubs' offense isn't that great. So you can't say that the offensive support is going to be any better than Liriano's. So to me, it doesn't seem like these pitchers are very different than each other. It's yeah, but, you, you know, you just look at our favorite peripherals, first strike rate and, you know, some of the other stuff. And uh, I just have more confidence in Samarja's control at this point. I know that... Samarja has had control problems in the past, but I, I just have more more confidence in him. I mean, Liriano has had some whopper walk rates. <laughs> whopper is definitely an understatement. I, I think clearly Samarja is the safe pick here, but it wouldn't surprise me in the least if for the rest of the season, Liriano at least earned similar value than Samarja. I go that far. I mean, you know... I think he'll have a he'll have a blow up against a patient lineup or two. I feel like, and you know, he's got a pitch in Colorado at some point. Uh, what about Kuroda? Are you taking Liriano over Kuroda? Yeah, that, those those guys are probably polar opposites. I mean, Liriano is all gas and sliders and and barely an idea where it's going, and Kuroda's all finesse and ninety mile an hour fastball with a splitter. Um, you know, the, the age difference is pretty stark. Kuroda's uh, 38 or something. Um, so I, I think I would take... Uh, you know what I'd do? I'd probably... I'd take, I'd take Kuroda, but, you know, the way I've been saying... The, the way I've been saying these pickums, you know, you give me Liriano and an upgrade somewhere. I give you Kuroda and a downgrade somewhere. I'd do that for sure. Or... I pick up Liriano and trade Kuroda for something better, you know, on offense or something. I'd do that for sure. Yeah, well, you don't get anything in a trade for Liriano. Yeah, well, if you can find a league where Liriano is still available on free agency, please tell me about it so I can force my way into playing in that league next year. <laughs> I just I just went and picked him up somewhere, but you know, it's a daily waiver league with uh, short benches, so Yeah, that makes sense. All right, let's talk about some demotions. One of them was yesterday, one of them was today, and talk about timing on this first one. Josh Rutledge was demoted yesterday, and I actually had gotten a Twitter question. Yesterday afternoon, the guy traded um, Giovanni Gallardo for Rutledge, and he was asking me about it. And I said, you know, Rutledge, I fear there's a chance that he gets demoted because I was looking at his, obviously his performance, he has not hit well. And defensively, the defensive metrics didn't like his play so far this year. So although I hadn't read anything necessarily saying that there's a chance he gets demoted, I said that there is a chance. And sure enough, later that day, 
yesterday, he actually gets demoted. So my crystal ball was working, and I should point out that in my 10 bold preseason predictions, I said Josh Rutledge would be demoted by the end of May. So just a little uh, pat on the back for that. And and now DJ LeMahieu is going to be starting at second base in Colorado. I mean, is this a guy who's worth anything more than a look in NL only leagues? Yeah, I was thinking of you when I saw that. I, I knew you'd been calling that. But, um, you know, for me, the problem is that I, I don't think LeMahieu's any better. I mean, I guess the thing is that maybe in real life he's a little bit better. Um, he strikes out more, but he's a better fielder. Um, but, uh, you know... In real life, I'd call him a less than an average player um, because all he's got going for him really is fielding. Um, he's got very little power, very little speed. Uh, so he's, he's like a def- defense first second baseman. So I think he's, um, I mean, unless his Babu keeps his batting average high and his team likes his batting average super high, then, then that's cool. But uh, I, I still think Rutledge is a better player overall. I'm surprised that he didn't have better defense coming from shortstop. I mean, I knew that he wasn't a great shortstop defender, but usually, you know, when you go down the defensive spectrum, you get better at defense. He didn't quite do that, at least not in the short sample defensive numbers we have. And obviously, they didn't like his uh, lack of patience, Rutledge's lack of patience in his uh, and his defense, because in terms of power and speed, you know, he's doing fine. I mean, a 250 batting average isn't great, but it's basically the major league average at this point. So. Um, I didn't really see it coming because I guess maybe because I was a little bit into the fantasy numbers. I mean, he he had five homers, five steals, and was hitting for a major league average batting average. I thought I thought that was going to be fine, um, but uh, they're looking for defense, I guess, or something. I mean, he, this new guy Lemayu doesn't really walk anymore, so it's not about patience. So they must have they must have uh, Rutledge must have dropped some balls. Yeah, and both. Projection systems, Zips and Steamer, are projecting high 290s batting averages for LeMahieu for the rest of the year, along with uh, some steals, uh, very little power. So, actually, that surprises me. I didn't expect him to be a high 290 projected hitter. Does that make him any more than an NL-only league guy? I mean, is he now like a 15-team mixed, like an NFBC-type league or a a Labor or Tower Wars league, or is he still just an NL-only guy? LeMahieu? Yeah. I, it's just like, even if he hits for a good batting average, I don't see any counting stats coming. I mean... And he's probably going to bat eighth. I would assume he hits toward in the bottom of the lineup, right? Yeah. yeah. Maybe, so. that, maybe that leads to a little bit more, you know, better walk rate, but I doubt it. It probably leads to fewer steals, and he's barely a steals guy anyway. Uh, he's one of these guys that steals some, but always has a bad uh, success rate. So I feel like I just don't see anything there. I mean, I'm pretty desperate for a middle infielder in tout. Um, I, I'm rostering David Adams at this point, I think. Wait, you too? Since when do you need a middle infielder? Because I've been, I've been desperate for a middle infielder myself. My middle infield, so I had Ian Kinsler. I had Chase Utley, who might go on the DL. I, have, uh, I had Derek Jeter. And I had Kevin Euclid, who's not middle infield, corner infield. So literally, my entire infield in Tower Wars has been completely wiped out and on the DL. It's insane. Yeah, I don't know what happened. I guess my Neil Walker is not not working out for me so well. Um, and uh, I'm not actually desperate for middle infielder. What the problem is is that I'm just I'm desperate for a utility player. And 
the few guys that are out there are utility are middle. I middle. got a utility player for you. We could have a, a live podcast trade negotiation. <laughs> well, what, you need middle infielders, and I'm not giving you. No, I know that. Selling low on Walker, but I, I do. I do got guys. I got Travis Halfmer there sitting on my bench. I got Drew Stubbs, and Drew Stubbs is somebody that I'd be happy to start and trade somebody in my outfield, like a, a Lorenzo Cain or, or somebody else. So we can talk after the podcast and make a trade. All right. I mean, <laughs> if I had a third baseman, I could give you Prado to play middle infield, but that's about it. Ooh, that's exciting. All right. Well, <laughs> is there any chance you see that Rutledge gets called back up sometime over the next couple of months? I mean, he's not going to be down in the minors the rest of the year, you assume, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I, uh, I think that um, he'll be up sooner. I mean, we're, we're probably about to talk about uh, Jesus Montero, and I don't need to get out of order, but uh, just because I think that, you know, on a comparative level, Jesus Montero has to learn a new position, uh, more or less. And uh, he has to, you know, prove, yes, uh, Rutledge has to learn a new position, but he's not learning a new position starting now. He just basically has to shore up his second base uh, defense and maybe take a couple pitches. But, you know, the nice thing about Rutledge is he's going to Colorado Springs, so he's going to have just as much of a nice of a boost in home park as he would in the majors. Um, so I, I feel like uh, Rutledge has a lot of things going for him. And, uh, you know, just hopefully a little bit of run of bad luck from the Mayhew in terms of batting average and balls in play because he's, 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 he's uh, got nothing else going for him right now, uh, in my opinion. So I think Rutledge will be up sooner than Montero myself. Yeah, so, I mean, for me, in a non-keeper league – Obviously, Rutledge is droppable unless I, – obviously, in an NL only league, I guess you kind of have to hold on to Rutledge and maybe a deep mixed league. But in a shallow league, obviously, drop Rutledge. I'm sure he'll be back up at some point and he'll produce some value. Uh, in keeper leagues, you got to hold on to him and kind of cross your fingers, hoping he's going to be back sooner rather than later. But I want to quickly, before we get into Seattle's situation, I want to just get to a Twitter question from at Ken Erdetti. He needs to replace Josh Rutledge, which I'm sure many of you listening have to as well. He was offered Gene Segura and one of the following three pitchers, either Ian Kennedy, Chris Medlin, or Francisco Liriano, for either his James Shields or Chris Sale. That's one trade on the table. Or he can replace Rutledge by trading Heath Bell and getting Didi Gregorius. And he already has Glenn Perkins, Raphael Betancourt, and Kenley Jansen for saves. So do you like either of these two trades for Ken or Deddy? Um, <clears throat> you know, the, the first one's uh, actually okay for me. Um, the problem with Didi Gregorius for me is that I just feel like we don't know what's going on there um, completely. And, uh, you know, before the year started, I would have guessed that he's like a 275 hitter with 10 to 15 home run power. And you know, just a couple stolen bases, which is pretty pretty bad, even for a shortstop. Uh, it's not a great great fantasy line. Of course, you know, recent performance may may want to have you push that to like 280 with 20 homers and five stolen bases, and that suddenly is top 12, top 10 material. Um, so if you believe on that level, then you should definitely go that way. Um, but uh, you know, the first one, if I got like if I got Medlin. Um, you know, back for my shields and then got a, a, a nice shortstop along with it. Uh, I like that deal. 
I like the first deal too. I don't know if I would choose Medlin. I actually might go Liriano, although I might be suckered in from his first three starts. It's a tough one. It, it's a trio of decent pitchers there. Liriano, I think, has the highest upside. And I'd actually trade away Sale before Shields just because of the injury concern with Sale's shoulder. I think Shields is a much safer bet. Uh, Sale's strikeout rate is down a bit as well. So I don't have a problem trading Sale for Segura and one of those three pitchers. I think I might lean toward Liriano for the upside and... Medlin might be my second choice, although I am concerned about him as well because his strikeout rate is way down as well. Kennedy, I think, would slide in third. Um, so I, I like that trade. And uh, Segura himself, I mean, if he comes anywhere close to replicating what he's done so far, is a decent haul straight up for for sale. But what do you say? Yeah, I, I, I agree with all that. I mean, I yeah, Liriano may be a step ahead. It's just a a little more risk in terms of uh, recent track record uh, for Liriano. So, um, and it's one of those few times where a two for one might make sense. Um, you know, people always say to go for the two for one, but there are times when you need depth, especially in, in, in the wake of an injury or a demotion. And anytime your league is any bigger than um, a 12 team or depth becomes uh, more of an issue. Yeah. All right. Let's move along to Seattle. Another surprising, I guess it's not that surprising, but another demotion, and the Mariners replace one Jesus with another Jesus. <laughs> so, uh, Jesus Montero. Actually, I want to interrupt myself. Do you hear the thundering in the background of me? Yes, I, I've heard that New York is having some crazy weather today. Yeah, is, it, poor... is it heat lightning or something? Because it's not really raining, right? Uh, no, it's, it's definitely raining. It's thundering. I don't know about the lightning. I'm afraid to go outside. I don't want to be bolted and electrocuted. So... I'm trying to keep nice and dry, and so I haven't gone outside, and I will not be going outside in this weather. <laughs> you know, New York weather's crazy, man. I just, I, I'm kind of glad I'm out of there. It's like, it's like 80% of the time you get inclement weather of some sort. It's <laughs> way too hot or way too cold. Well, hey, you're in San Francisco, and every single minute I've been in San Francisco, it has never been nice and sunny out. So I, I wouldn't talk about weather. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. I'm not in San Francisco. <laughs> Well, of course you are. Where are you? Oh, no. I'm, uh, I'm 15, 20 minutes south, and it's uh, oh, excuse. It's a big, big difference because it's pretty much every day um, like 70 to 80 degrees and sunny. Okay. All right. Enough. <laughs> Enough about the bragging about the difference. Enough gloating. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so in Seattle, Jesus Sucra, I don't even know how to pronounce his name. And, you know, you're obviously the best pronouncer on the entire Fangraph staff. So why don't you try pronouncing his name? <laughs> Sucre. Ah, oh, there we go. We even got a little <laughs> accent. I, I hear a little German coming out. <laughs> so you know, I'm looking at his stats, and I'm like, are the Mariners just giving up here? Because Sucre looks awful offensively. Uh, I can't imagine they think he's going to be an upgrade. I, I guess... They're just looking at this as a long-term, we got to fix Jesus Montero, and the best way to do that is in the minors, and they don't care what they're going to get from their catcher production in the majors. So, Sucra, I mean, outside of deep AL-only leagues, he looks absolutely worthless, right? Yeah, catch-and-throw guy. I mean, I might have to pick him up in uh, labor, because uh, my catching tandem... Of uh, Jesus Montero and uh, Giovanni Soto is oh, just boy. lighting the league on fire. <laughs> well, well, what about Kelly Shopik? Is this going to give him a nice playing time boost? I, he's he's already taken that and run with it. He's pretty much uh, 
he's pretty much been the guy for a while. So, so I I, uh, I crapped out on my catcher tandem, but uh, yeah, what can you do? Yeah, well, I guess if you need cheap power and batting average is of no concern to you, then Kelly Shopik, yeah. I mean, he's got power. So I, I guess he'll be the starter, and he'll, he'll I'm sure he'll split time with Sukra, but he'll probably get more playing time, I would imagine, just because he has some semblance of offensive ability, whereas it doesn't seem like Sukra does. Yeah, I mean, probably. I mean, the, the, the book on Shopik in the past has been that he's better against lefties, though. So I would say I get, you know, probably give him every start against a lefty and then half the start against the righties. And, and just, just throw up your hands and give up against the righties. Uh-oh, righties on the mound. We're just going to chalk this up as a loss. <laughs> <laughs> Two-thirds of the time. Yeah. To write them off. <laughs> and so, so you think Montero's going to be down in the minors for a while, just learning first base, learning how to handle the designated hitter position, right? Well, I, it, yeah, right. There's also, uh, I think there's an interesting thing going on with Smoke. So Smoke's been uh, better. I mean... It still looks pretty bad, but, you know, Smoke's been a little bit better of late, I think. I mean, just from my, my nightly box score reading, I'm, I'm just calling him up right now. And, oh, God, it's just as bad as ever. Uh, <laughs> like a real-time reaction to Smoke's. Yeah. It would be, seriously, he has an awesome name, and it really would have fit perfectly if he was good. Because then you could have so many puns with him smoking the ball. And spelled yeah. smoking the way his last name is spelled. And it's just unfortunate. And, you know, he used to be called a smoke monster. He's not. He's not the smoke monster. He's just like, <laughs> he's like a smoke caterpillar or something. Just like a normal little guy. Well, he's finally got like a league average Babbitt, which is like the first time he's ever done that. And he's walking. So I don't know. Maybe someone looks at that and says uh, they're interested in it. But, you know, uh, he's got a 110 ISO. And I feel like Montero can beat that. So <laughs> Probably. I think there's probably, uh, I, you know what, I do think that something interesting just happened. Because Montero got sent down, that says something. That says, um, to me, it kind of says the GM is in trouble. And it says, uh, you know, he did all the, he, he kind of reversed course. Instead of getting defenders, he got, you know, uh, muscle and got some power. And, uh, you know, they're still scoring just about as many runs as they did ever. Because instead of patience and defense, now they have, you know, power guys that don't, really have patience or you know play defense so <laughs> you know, they kind of they they went from having a great outfield defense to let's just scrap all that and go one-dimensional power guys that do nothing else in the baseball field yeah i think they did really do that but you know montero being sent down says to me uh-oh you know now we're all hands on deck we're get, i mean I, i'm coming into the end of my career here i gotta show something for it you know so i feel like um Nick Franklin is, is now an interesting player uh, because Dustin Ackley is still kind of sucking. And, um, you know, at some point the players have to become, uh, you know, I guess what you would call accountable uh, for, their, for what they've done. So, you know, Dustin Ackley is hitting 218, no power, no walk rate, you know, average strikeout rate, uh, you know, not good enough defense to – to be like a DJ LeMahieu type. So you're kind of talking about a guy who has no skills right now in Ackley. And um, I think that just means that uh, Nick Franklin's on alert. Uh, anybody else they've got down there is on alert. And, you know, Smoke might go down. Montero might come back. You know, 
it's all it's all up and up in the air. I, I would say that I wouldn't think that Montero or Rutledge will stay down uh, for more than a month. So are you saying that there are offensive problems in Seattle? Why don't they move the fences in? Oh wait, they already <laughs> did. <laughs> well, yeah, the problem with moving the fences is you get more homers, but you get less doubles. So. Yeah, and clearly it doesn't help them walk more often <laughs> yeah, right. or play defense. And and it's funny, actually moving the fences in would help their defense just because they have less ground to cover. So yeah. I, I wonder yeah. if that was something that they thought about that, oh, maybe our bad defenders with less range isn't such a bad thing since it's less ground to cover. I don't know. But let's move along to two bullpens in flux, and the first one is the Rays. Fernando Rodney has been a mess all season. He got the dreaded vote of confidence and then proceeded to blow yet another save and get removed quite quickly with, uh, wow, his name escapes me. Uh, uh, Peralta. Uh, Joel Peralta, yes. Um, so what happens here? And if Fernando Rodney does lose his job, is it going to just be a temporary thing? They throw him back into middle relief until he gets his command back. Uh, well, I don't think he's getting his command back. I, yeah, I've been saying all year and last year even that you've got you know years and years of, of uh, sample with him not having command and then you had you know three four five months of him showing command so you know they've tried moving him back it was like everyone said oh well he moved on the rubber well you know they've tried to move him back on the rubber uh, they said oh they simplified his delivery well you know his delivery got more complicated again recently oh he's got a you know a good framing catcher but that catcher's still there, and he sucks now. So I feel like um, Rodney, I mean, he's still touching 97, 98. He might be able to do it ugly, but the Rays uh, have had a different closer every year they've existed. And, you know, so I feel like the, the safe bet is against Rodney. The problem that I have is that I don't know who to bet on. Um, I guess Peralta's the guy, but he is, you know, he's not a very big velocity guy, and we've shown that you know, velocity and strikeout rates are, are, are the best predictors of change. So he's not your typical closer in terms of that. Uh, McGee is a lefty. I showed that uh, that managers don't like lefty closers. Uh, and McGee's not really burning the house down either. So uh, you've got uh, Farnsworth there that was the closer once, but um, he's not showing that he's quite the same guy that he used to be. It's uh, It seems like it's all up in the air, and I... I don't know who to bet on. I guess it would be Peralta because, you know, usage rate is a good way to go. And, and he has been used in the setup role. So he, it would be Peralta if they went by usage. But Peralta had a couple tries at this. You know, there was a time when it looked like Rodney had already been out. And, um, you know, it looked like Rodney had already been out. And then um, Peralta came in and did tried to, to nail down a couple saves and failed. So... It's like nobody wants the role right now. <laughs> well, I, I, yeah, and, and Peralta is also a big fly ball guy, and obviously the last thing that you want in the ninth inning is a game-tying or a game-losing home run. But I think that if any team were to truly mix and match and have no real closer in the ninth inning, it's the Rays because they're, they're clearly you know on the, the, the front line of trying new things and being innovative. And so... Why not just mix and match? If there's a couple of lefties up, go with Jake McGee. And I mean, Jake McGee has been fantastic. I feel like, I mean, I don't have the splits in front of me, but I'm sure he can get righties out. 
I'm sure he has splits like any lefty is going to have, but I'm sure he's pretty good against righties anyway that it wouldn't be such a bad idea to have him close. But maybe if a couple of lefties are up, you have McGee. And then if righties are up, you bring in Peralta. I mean, I don't know why teams don't already do this, but if there was a team to start truly having a platoon closer, I think the Rays would be the first team that would do it. Yeah, uh, yeah, the uh, they do seem like that. And they the... One interesting thing is that uh, you know going into the season, I thought it would be I thought McGee would get the most saves in, in Tampa Bay this year. I mean, that's just you know I didn't really have a ton of evidence other than the fact that Tampa Bay changes a lot and you know Rodney. I just figured Rodney would crap out, um, but uh, you know they really could do that because you know before the last three years, the the book on Peralta was that he was what they call a rookie. Uh, and that he was, he could only get righties out. Um, and you actually, if you look at his splits, his his splits against righties have been very similar. They're, you know, about a three-five FIP, like for most of his career. Um, and his splits against lefties used to be terrible. They used to be like eight, seven, six, eight, really, really bad. Don't use them against lefties. And then right when he got to Tampa, it takes a jump forward, and he's and he's been better against lefties than righties recently. So. I mean, I don't know if they can stomach throwing a guy out there with a 90 mile an hour fastball closing. I, I think that's something that sounds like Tampa, you know, Tampa as well. You know, yeah. All I have to do is look up to St. Louis and see what Edward Muika is doing, and and feel pretty comfortable that it could work. Yeah, yeah. They probably, you know, we'd be a little bit more worried with the um, with the walk rate with uh, Peralta because, you know, like you said, if he has if he if he allows a homer to you know, it just they just can't have a guy on base. Yeah. Uh, so I think that any Rodney owner or even anybody who just needs saves, if Joel Peralta is available in your league, you got to take a shot on him because I think Rodney's leash at this point, if it still is there, is extremely, extremely thin. And I don't know if he would even get his job back because it doesn't seem like his control is suddenly going to reappear given his history of not having control. So uh, let's move along also to the other bullpen in flux, and that's in Miami. Uh, Steve Ciszek just cannot get lefties out. They've absolutely mashed him, and he's no longer the guy. So they're apparently going to also mix and match with Mike Dunn as the lefty and you know I think they like Ryan Webb and, and whoever else out there. Do you see Ciszek getting the full-time job back? I mean, has it just been bad luck against lefties or or – What's going on here? Well, I mean, he's a he's a fastball slider guy, so if lefties have been hitting him around, that can happen. Uh, the slider has platoon splits. Uh, mostly, I see that his control has left him, and uh, he's never never had really an, uh, an above average first strike rate, and um, he doesn't he doesn't even have a good reach rate. So people aren't aren't turning balls into strikes for him, and uh, he's not starting off with a good count. So, um, you know, if you look back in his career in the minors, too, he's had some bad walk rates. So I feel like uh, this, you know, he, you know he, he had a bad walk rate last year and a bad whip. So I think he was, he was uh, going to be a guy that I thought was just going to do it ugly all year because I thought the Marlins didn't want to spend money on a closer, didn't want to give a young guy the role and have to give him more money in arbitration. I figured they would just let this guy do it all year, even if he screwed it up. I mean, it's not like they're winning a lot of games. But, um, you know, 
I guess they're going to change it up. I have a favorite, and I've had a favorite since the beginning of the year, which is A.J. Ramos. I like the fact that he's got three or four – he might have five pitches. And uh, he's got 93-mile-an-hour gas. He's not a lefty. And, you know, he's he's got – he hasn't been perfect this year, and he's got some issues of his own, but he's the guy I like. Uh, where has he been in terms of leverage? Let me bring up his win probability because – I mean, obviously, if he hasn't been given high leverage situations, then it's probably too much to ask for him to move into the closer role anytime soon. Yeah, and it looks like his uh, his game leverage is, is pretty low. So right now, he's probably not near the top yeah. of the pecking order. Uh, I think that's uh, I think that's uh, a function of the uh, the fact that the Marlins aren't winning games, not so much um, where he's being used because he's actually being used in the eighth inning. Um, it's it's Ramos and Dunn are the eighth inning guys in Florida. Well, yeah, and I looked at Dunn's splits, and he's a lefty, but he's not absolutely dominating against lefties in his career. He has an ex-fip against lefties of 350, which is fine. But usually when you have a lefty reliever that if if you want him to platoon as a closer, you're going to want him absolutely dominating lefties, and, and Dunn doesn't. So he doesn't look like a, a sure thing to, to split time if he was going to get some saves. So, yeah, it doesn't really seem like there's some obvious guy, which makes me think that C-Sheck could get his job back and kind of luck his way into closing. But, yeah, I mean, that fastball-slider combo is not good when it comes to platoon splits. Obviously, we've seen that with Justin Masterson. Mitchell Boggs, that was the exact reason why I knew Mitchell Boggs wasn't going to last and why I said it's got to be Mujica because Boggs is also the same. Fastball-slider, can't get lefties out. These are guys that just, they're not going to be able to last in the, the closer role because opposing managers know this. They know the splits, and they're just going to bring up lefty pinch hitters, and and they're not going to make it out of the inning. So, I mean, it's a tough call here. Yeah, I, I like Ramos's mix. I mean, five pitches, he's being used in the eighth. He, he's not like a 90-mile-an-hour guy. He's almost a 94-mile-an-hour guy. And he's had insane strikeout rates in the minor league, so he actually... Right now, he's striking over more than one one per uh, inning. But he, in the minor leagues, he was 12, 13, 14 per, per nine. So, I mean, he doesn't have great control himself, but he's not showing that right now. Um, and he's and he's focused on getting strike one, and, and he's got a great strike uh, first strike rate. So, uh, he's been using the eighth. I mean, he's my guy. I, I've, I've handcuffed Shishek wherever I have him. I've handcuffed him with Ramos. Yeah, interesting call. Uh a nice deep league find. So maybe if you're in a deep league, take a chance on AJ Ramos and in a month or two, you might have a closer, but let's get to a, another Twitter question from at five Wallace. And he wants to know who the best buy low target is between Jacoby Ellsbury, Matt holiday, Michael Bourne and Austin Jackson. Yeah, I, I took a look at that one. I'm, I'm interested in hearing what you have to say. Um, and I basically zeroed in on the speedsters, um, and I don't count Austin Jackson as a speedster anymore. I mean, yes, he he was looking kind of good for a while, but he just injured his hamstring, and he's he you know his three year high in stolen bases is like twenty two or something. So um, I, I was looking at Bourne and Ellsbury, um, and I know that Bourne um, has has been showing a little more power, might have a little more power, true talent. And is in a better, you know, his numbers look better right now. And so, you know, you might you might think Bourne is the better. And, and Bourne might produce better going forward. I, I agree with that. But I think Ellsbury will be cheaper. 
So, you know, if you're talking about buy low, there's two things going on. Who do you think, you know, who's going to do better the rest of the season and who's going to be cheaper to acquire? And I think that actually Ellsbury is going to be cheaper to acquire and be very close to the same value as Bourne going forward. But I do want to hear what you have to say. Well, my question is, how did he choose these guys as buy low? Because aside from Ellsbury, Holiday, Bourne, Austin Jackson, these aren't really buy low guys. I mean, they're doing... Basically, just as expected, these aren't like slow starters like a BJ Upton. So I'm just surprised to see these guys' names on here classified as possible buy low targets. Uh, I mean, Holiday, I have on a couple of teams. He's been he's been fine. He's been Matt Holiday. I mean, the good news, his strikeout rate is is way down. Uh, power is a bit down, but again, it's it's early. You know, a home run here and there, and he'll be right back on target. So he looks completely fine. If you can get him at a discount, absolutely. I just can't imagine because he started off completely fine. Now, Ellsbury, you know, I was looking at him also as a buy low the other day. And when you look at his career, could we please find out what the heck got into him in 2011? I mean, look at that career. Eight home runs, nine home runs, eight home runs, 32 home runs, three home runs, one home run. I mean, seriously? What happened to this guy? So, I don't know. I mean, he had the shoulder injury last year, which... it would be logical to think that that sapped his power after he returned. His ISO was just .099 last year. And you thought, all right, he'll rebound this year. His power is going to return. Will he be a 30 home run guy? No. But maybe he'll be a 15, 20 home run guy. Well, nope, that's wrong. His power is down even further to .091 ISO. <laughs> so is his power just completely gone from the shoulder? Was it just never there? Was 2011 a complete, absolute, like the fluky season of all time? I just don't understand it. So now he's a guy who's maybe a you know a six home run. Let's look at 2011. No, I'm looking at his uh, triple stats. Um, maybe a 2000. No, not even 2009 because he sold 70 bases. Now he's like a five home run guy who will steal, let's say, 35 bases. And suddenly that's I don't even know who to compare that to. That's worse than like a Shane Victorino and uh, worse than a Carl Crawford. Um, worse than Michael Bourne because Michael Michael Bourne would probably steal more bases than that. So, well, I, I I kind of I would say that Ellsbury's like a thirty-five to forty. I mean, he had a really bad year last year. I wouldn't I wouldn't dock all those stolen bases. The guy's stolen seventy once. Um, so I I would say he steals thirty-five plus, and he's he hits five plus. And for Bourne, I would say he hits ten and steals thirty-five plus. So that's why I would say that they're in the same neighborhood, um, and Ellsbury would be cheaper. But, you know, one little simple thing that you can do is if you just look at Ellsbury's ground ball to fly ball ratio, 2011 magically was the lowest ground ball to fly ball ratio. And ever since I talked to the Royals this week and, and Botto in the preseason about ground ball to fly ball ratio, I've been been looking at that a lot. I think it's kind of a good proxy for how level your swing is. So. I think that, you know, in that year he had the most power-ready swing, and then these other years he's sort of slapping the ball on the ground a little bit. Uh, you know, it's hard to get him, get him out when you don't get him up. And he had, he had years in the past where it was 10 to 15 homers uh, a year. It would look like his, you know, true talent, full-season pace. Um, so I don't think that's completely gone. I mean, the shoulder didn't just die. <laughs> yeah, well, you have to assume it's going to rebound, but... Over the past 500 at-bats, he's hit a total of five home runs. Yeah. So, 
Yeah, I mean, clearly he's not getting into double digits anymore, and, and 2011 is a, a far-off memory. And well, what I'm hearing from you also is that Bourne is not a great uh, is not a great uh, buy low because I mean he's hitting 300 and you know stole some bases and it was just he was just hurt. That's not doesn't make him a right, buy low. Exactly, like all these names don't seem like buy low guys to me. I mean, Bourne seems to be doing exactly what was expected of him. It seems like Ellsbury is really the only guy who's disappointing so far. Holiday is only hitting like 270, but um, you know he hasn't stolen bases. He, you know he's getting older. He just he hasn't stolen bases like he used to. His contact rates have gotten a little worse. I feel like you know he's like a 280, 290 guy with 20, 25 home runs. That's I mean that's Matt Holiday, you know, and it's it's consistent. Um, but you know some 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 point he's gonna start getting injuries because he's older and um, not hit as many home runs and. You know, I just uh, I I said that last year was the year to sell uh, Matt Holiday in a keeper league. Oh, so we disagree a bit on Matt Holiday. So I I think he's totally fine. I mean, you mentioned his contact rate, uh, but his strikeout rate is actually down. So oh, his contract his contact rate is actually up. It's actually a career high contact percentage. Weird. I thought uh, maybe I just looked at it wrong. I thought his uh, strikeout rate was up a little bit. No, it's actually down. So yeah, so for me, Matt Holiday is looking good. I wouldn't consider him a buy low, but if you can get him at a discount, absolutely. And, and quickly, before we end things, what is going on in Los Angeles with Andre Ethier? Is, and my favorite name ever, I want to hear you actually pronounce this guy's name. YP are his initials. Please share with us, you know, who might be promoted in the future in Los Angeles? <laughs> it's got to be Puig. <laughs> uh, well, I, what's his first name? Yasiel. Okay. So um, that is an awesome name, and I, I want Vince Scully to pronounce his name because Vince Scully is also awful at pronouncing names. <laughs> so if he gets called up, it'll be fun to hear his name pronounced. It's just a cool name. Well, I, you know, one thing I really like about Puig is that his um, his uh, he's got a lot of power, um, and his contact rate is good. Like his strikeout rate is good. So um, the combination of power with a good strikeout rate is rare these days, and uh, that makes it very exciting. He's also stealing more bases this year, so I, you know, I think he could be a guy that adds 10, 15 bases in a full year. I mean, he already has 10 this year, but that's in, in Double A. But you know, he's succeeding at Double A, and that's the big jump that everybody says you've got to succeed at Double A before, you know, you're you're really considered, um, you know, for the for the major leagues. That's why people have been asking if Sano, uh, Miguel Sano, is going to come up. I don't think so because he's not even in Double A yet. But Puig is in Double A. They're talking about trading Andre Ethier, and um, they've got uh, they've got to swallow more than half of that contract to make it happen. Uh, but they've got money, and uh, they've got a hot prospect coming up. So unless there's an injury or something, it's going to take something drastic like that. Well, for me, it's it's really simple. Bottom line, he's only played in Double A. Every time I see a hitter that completely skips AAA, I almost automatically ignore him in fantasy leagues because jumping from AA to the majors is a lot tougher for a hitter than a pitcher. A pitcher, I don't have a big problem, but a hitter, that's a real, real problem. 
and uh, most of the time the hitter struggles. So he's going to get a ton of hype if he gets called up. He's going to go for high fab bids. People are going to be falling all over themselves to pick this guy up because he's a hot prospect. But I don't think he's going to have any value. Uh, my money is on that he's going to flop if he gets no AAA experience. He's had very little minor league experience. And even his double-A experience, it's only 135 plate appearances. So I don't think he's going to do anything if he gets called up in the majors. So for me, I would avoid him. And even in NL-only leagues, I mean, obviously, anybody getting at bats, you got to take a chance on. But I really, I, I think he's going to flop. That's interesting. Um, I, I, the one thing that I would say is that um, definitely if there was any sort of issues with the strikeout rate, I would be more, I'd be more worried uh, my impression of AAA is that it's mostly uh, guys that are that are uh, extra men on the roster. They're they're the 25th through 30th and 40th yes, men. Yeah, top roster. prospects are usually in AA, the good guys, and and then it's just a giant so in AAA. You're right. I never really thought so much about uh, AAA. I, I don't really care about it too much in the past, but you, it might be there might be something there for hitters because if you're talking about uh, the 26th man. On a on a staff, and you're talking about a basically maybe the 14th or 15th best pitcher on a major league staff. That that play that pitcher is a major league pitcher and sequences things and and, and pitches like a major league pitcher. So he he knows how to use the strike zone. He knows how to get people ahead and behind, and is kind of maybe not a veteran in that he's like 40 or whatever you know an old guy, but he's a veteran in that he's been to the major leagues and he knows how to get a hitter out in the major league. So maybe maybe it is a bigger deal for hitters to go to AAA just so they can see how pitchers will pitch them in the future. All right. Well, that's going to do it for us today in a, a thunderstorm-filled broadcast. So join us again, hopefully, for better weather on Sunday for more fantasy fun on The Sleeper and the Bust. For Eno Saris, I'm Mike Podhorzer, and thanks for tuning in.